mud, but anyway, it's good to see you today, and I'm thankful for all that the Lord is doing. As Mike mentioned a few minutes ago, we have four Sundays left in this building, and uh, we just determined even if they're not done with the remodeling project, we're going to move in on the 22nd. So uh, as long as our chairs get here, that is the big, big one that has to fall in place. We ordered 450 new chairs, and so they should be shipped in plenty of time. But uh, as long as that happens, we'll do everything else. Even if the sound system isn't in, we'll do an acoustic set that Sunday or something. I don't know. But anyway, that's the plan. So we're in a series this year called Creating a Gospel-Centric Culture. We're almost at the end of it. We've been running through the book of Romans. I believe this is lesson number 32. Um, and so 31 or 32, but uh, nonetheless, we've been examining um, the, uh, the culture that the Apostle Paul really uh, established by way of the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, explaining what the church is about, what we should be about. And um, today we're going to see some things that we shouldn't be about. In chapter 14, in fact, the title today of the message is The Debatables. There are things that are debatable. I know we, we love dogma, but the truth is some things are debatable. There are things left to personal opinion, uh, personal preference, personal perspective, and we each need to respect each other in that regard, and, uh, and, and, and not everything is black and white. And that's coming from a pretty black and white kind of guy. I, I like things to, uh, to be black and white. I like things to be very blunt. And, uh, and, and, but I have to admit, and it was difficult for me to arrive at this conclusion as a, as a Christian, certainly as a preacher, that there are things that are just simply up for discussion. And so we're going to deal with that today. And I, I told you last Sunday that I'm going to try and complete this series by the time that we move. And some of you scoffed and laughed at me. But uh, I think we can do it. I, we, might, we might wind up spending two weeks in chapter 14. We'll just see how far we get today. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more limited on time than normal because of the baptisms this afternoon. So uh, I'll, try, I'll try to stay within my time limit that no one placed upon me but myself. Um, but I will try to stay within that. So look with me in Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse number 1. He says, Receive those, or receive one rather, who is weak in the faith but not to disputes over doubtful things. There, there's your debatables. You see that? So receive, receive one who is weak in the faith. You're gonna be, uh, it's going to be interesting to, to take note in just a moment who he's referring to as being weak, by the way. Uh, what we might refer to or think of as being weak in the faith um, is quite the opposite to what, what God says is, is actually a weak faith, and, uh, but I'll show you that in just a second. However, verse 1 does uh, introduce the concept of there are things that are, that are debatable. There are things that are uh, doubtful, right? That's what that statement means. Verse number two, for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then you wonder why you're weak. <laughs> but uh, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Here's a great question. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. Do we really believe that? I'm serious. Think about it. We, we, I, I, I know many people who believe they're the high sheriff of holiness. But, but God says in, in, in no uncertain terms that if he's concerned about it, he's able to straighten them out. 
If he's worried about it, he can fix it himself. He doesn't need your help. He says, who are you to judge another person's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand. God's able to make him stand. Verse 5, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. Y'all say amen on that? For he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be both Lord of that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I'm going to try to get through the first half of chapter 14 today, and if we, if we have time, we'll get into the bonus of the second half, okay? Father, thank you for this time that we do have to gather in this place together. I believe the, the most valuable commodity that you've entrusted to us is time, and so it's, it's important to me that, that we, we take notice of the time that's been given. Uh, Father, that as your word says, we would redeem the time because we're living in evil days. I pray that you'd help us to recognize that the most important thing we can be doing in this moment is what we're doing, and that is fixing our hearts on your truth, on your word. Father, keep us anchored. I pray that you'd give us understanding, give us insight. Father, direct our steps that we might not just understand a new Bible verse or two, but that we might know how to apply these principles into our lives, and that ultimately we might make effective change in our world, and we'll thank you and give you the glory, for it's through your power, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let me give you a little background on the context, because, you know, in all reality, we don't probably argue that much about what foods we eat. I'm saying in Christian circles, I don't, I've never gotten in too much. I'm not saying I've never encountered this, but I've rarely ever gotten into a big argument with somebody over whether we should, should or should not eat bacon, for example. Okay. Uh, there are those, I know, I see some of y'all looking at each other because you know those people, right? But the truth is, it's not generally a big deal to us in our Western civilization, amen? So, so keep in mind, in the book of Romans, Paul is writing to Jewish converts, people who had converted from Judaism to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they had been brought up in, in the strictest elements of the Jewish faith, many of them, as the Apostle Paul was, were Pharisees before they came to know Christ. Pharisees were the Jewiest of the Jews. They were very strict in their legalistic adherences, and, and so Paul came out of that, and he understood that very well, and, and as God often does, he commissions people who have dealt with the very same thing to go to people who are dealing with that same thing, and so Paul was dealing with people who were primarily like he was before he came to know Jesus Christ. So I want to give you a little background of what the Old Testament has to say, because, because as we read some of this, I don't know if you're as cynical as I am, but sometimes when I read things like this, I think, man, that's kind of silly. 
right? Arguing with somebody whether they can eat meat or whether they're a vegan. He says, either way, don't, don't dispute with them, don't argue with them, don't look down on them, don't judge them, certainly. It's up to them what they do. But, but, but even just the fact that it's being stated seems rather silly to me. Because I'm an American. I was raised on eating bacon and, you know what I'm saying, fried pork. Amen? It's a staple in my diet at 284 George Street. So it's just the way it is. But let me give you some background to what, they were, what Paul was specifically dealing with because there were some very strict dietary laws in the Old Testament. Did you know that? Notice this with me. In fact, all of Leviticus chapter 11 deals with this. I just thought I'd give you a sampling of, of what Paul was probably confronting. Um, so, so in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 1 through 19, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Of all the land animals, these are the ones you may use for food. You may eat any animal. This is very simple, by the way, so, so, so don't complicate it. You ready? Very simple here. You may eat any animal that has completely split hooves and choose the cud. You may not, however, eat the following animal, animals that have split hooves or that chew the cud, but not both. The camel chews the cud but does not have split hooves, so it is ceremonially unclean for you. The hyrax chews the cud, amen? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> the hyrax chews the cud but does not have split hooves, so it's unclean. Uh, the hare chews the cud but does not have split hooves, so it's unclean. The pig has evenly split hooves, sounds good, oh, but does not chew the cud, so it's unclean. You may not eat the meat of these animals or even touch their carcasses. They are ceremonially unclean for you. Clear? All right, so let's talk about fish. Of all the marine animals, these are the ones you may use for food. You may eat anything from the water if it has both fins and scales, whether taken from salt water or from streams, but you must never eat animals from the sea or from rivers that do not have both fins and scales. They're detestable for you. This applies both to little creatures that live in the shallow water and to all creatures that live in deep water. They will always be detestable to you. You must never eat their meat or even touch their dead bodies. Any marine animal that does not have both fins and scales is detestable to you. Again, amen. By the way, if you read the details, shrimp were off the table. Kind of upsetting. Talk about birds. How many guys like to hunt dove? Ducks, geese, y'all ready? These are the birds that are detestable to you. You must never eat them. The griffin vulture. <laughs> the bearded vulture. The black vulture. Don't eat vultures. The kite. Falcons of all kind. Ravens of all kind. The eagle owl. The short-eared owl. The seagull. Hawks of all kinds. The little owl. The cormor, whatever. The great owl. The barn owl. The desert owl, the Egyptian vulture, the stork, we know why, right, storks. <laughs> Herons of all kinds, the hoopoe, that's fun to say, and the bat. No fried bat for anybody, I'm sorry. <laughs> Cancel the fried bat food truck that we ordered for this afternoon. Anyway, the point is, when Paul wrote these things, it's not like they... they you know, we're just sort of coming out of left field. They had, they had Bible for it. Okay. What I'm saying is important because they, they legitimately had Bible. What we would say, you know, show me a Bible verse. Well, they could show you several. They could in fact show you an entire chapter that dealt specifically all of Leviticus chapter number 11 deals specifically 
with dietary laws, what you can eat, what you can't eat. And again, pork was a no-no, shrimp was a no-no, I mean, some good stuff, right, was entirely forbidden under Old Testament Levitical law. But then on top of that, the Old Testament law was riddled with laws concerning holy days. In fact, if you just go to Leviticus chapter 23, don't necessarily turn there now because I'm going to give you the synopsis of it, but if you, if you study Leviticus chapter 23, it, it describes the Sabbath, which we're all probably familiar with that, the, you're right, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, fourth commandment, but, but, but it not only deals with the Sabbath day, um, it, it deals with, with seven feasts, seven other feasts that were considered high holy days, specifically the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of the Harvest, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles, right? And you often hear people talk about, well, the, the Saturday is the Sabbath day and all those things, and, and that's true, but, but, the, but the seventh day Sabbath was, was just a common, ordinary Sabbath. There were also other Sabbath days. I don't have time to explain, explain all of it. Uh, certainly don't have time to explain all of it, but uh, <laughs> seriously, come on. Uh, but, but the point is, that joke is going to live forever, by the way. Um, in fact, I'm thinking about starting another church just so I can tell it to a new crowd because it's such a good joke. But anyway, the point is uh, that, that we talk about that Sabbath day when in reality there were Sabbath days that were considered even higher and even holier than the seventh day Sabbath. But notice this. I'm just, gonna, I'm just giving you a little, little taste, a little example. Exodus chapter 31, verse number 12. This is how serious it was. Uh, the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day. For the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you. That's a, that's a fundamental statement, by the way. The Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, it is given so you may know that I'm the Lord who makes you holy. You must keep the Sabbath day, for it is a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. It was, capital, it was a capital crime to violate. Did I say that right? Capital crime. I thought I said capital crime. Anyway, I'm talking with a hair lip now, but uh, it was a capital crime to violate the Sabbath day. You must keep the Sabbath day. It's holy. He who desecrates it must be put to death. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. You'd be excommunicated. Verse 15, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest. A holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for all time. It is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. When the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant written by the finger of God. So again, we can laugh at him a little bit for being so stuck on, on certain days, but this is where they got it. And so if, if I were a Jew, let me just put it to you like this, if I were a Jew living in the first century, I think I would be a little hesitant to, to let go of some of these things too. So, so you, have, you, you have these guys preaching, the apostles preaching, which, which also, by the way, there's so much here, I just don't have time to dive into all of it, but, but, but think about this. This is also why God verified the gospel, verified the new covenant with so many supernatural signs and wonders. 
We often look back on the first century of Christianity and we see God just working these amazing miracles. Well, the reality is God was trying to verify the message to the Jewish people because they were so inoculated and immersed in Old Testament law that God had to supernaturally reveal himself for them to even begin to move away from it. So, so you've got these guys now, these apostles preaching that all those laws were done away with in Christ. If you remember the story, we went through the book of Acts uh, last year, and, and in the book of Acts is where we have the story of Simon Peter uh, praying there at Caesarea Maritime, and he receives the vision of the sheet let down by the four corners from heaven, and it has all manner of birds and four-footed animals and fish and even bugs in it, because you could eat locusts under Old Testament law. But anyway, the uh, sheep being let down, there were hogs and, you know what I'm saying, like pork butt and all that stuff in the sheep. You know, the stuff that we like. And, 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 and the Spirit of God told the Apostle Peter, did I say Paul, told the Apostle Peter to, uh, to he said, rise, kill, and eat. And Simon Peter, being, being a thoroughbred Jew, he says, I've never eaten anything that was common or unclean. Y'all remember the story? And Jesus himself said to Simon Peter, he said, what God has cleansed, don't you call common. In other words, it's okay to eat pig now. Hallelujah. Right? About time for us to start shouting on something. You can eat bacon legally. You can eat shrimp, glory to God. I'm just saying, but, 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 but if I were a Jew living in that time period, I think I'd have been saying like, dude, are you sure? Like, are you sure you saw that? Are you sure God said that it's okay? So, so it would have been very difficult for these, these early Jews in the church to recognize that, that all of these laws had been fulfilled in Christ. It was difficult. It was difficult for them to understand that because their forefathers had, had passed the laws down to them and then, and then they had passed on top of the law all of their traditions and, and these, these sort, of, sort of, you know, uh, uh, just sort of like, like guardrails they had set up. And we've heard this in church culture too. Well, if the Bible says this, you know, if this is wrong, I need to stay five miles away from it. So then we add to what God said, Right? And, and so they had done that. They had created these, these insulation, uh, these barriers to keep them so far from violating the law. So not only did they have the, the letter of the law itself, they had all of this other stuff on top of the law that their, that their forefathers and mothers had handed down. And they said, you got to keep the traditions of the elders. And, and they would throw fits if you violated any, any aspect of the law whatsoever. So look, we understand in a New Testament context that all those laws, all those feasts, all those holy days were pointing to Christ himself and have been fulfilled in him. Which, by the way, that's what the entire book of Hebrews is about. All of the book of Hebrews deals with the fact that, all, that, that every law, all the Sabbath days, all the high holy days, all the dietary laws, all the Levitical priesthood, every element of the law was fully fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, in fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians, nailed all those things to his cross. We're not under the law anymore. But it was difficult for them to recognize it. And so I want to talk about this for just a moment, okay? I've broken this down into two primary categories. First category we're going to talk about is what we'll just simply call consumables. Consumables. Things that we consume. Notice this in verse number one. He says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. 
Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant to his own master? He stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. So, so what do we do with, with things that we consume into our physical bodies? So even though as, as really westernized Christians living in 2023, we probably don't think that much about what we physically eat as far as it's related to spirituality. I hope you at least give some thought to your diet. Amen. It's important. Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. You should try to take care of it at least. Uh, but, 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 in, but in relation to our spiritual life, we probably don't give a lot of thought to how what we eat may affect us on a spiritual level. You ever think about that? I mean, don't speak out, but I have to now give that caveat whenever I ask a question. But, uh, but the point is, we don't probably think of it that much, but we do think of other things that people consume. Can you think of one? Alcohol, tobacco, right? No, he's kidding. <laughs> I'm actually dying to know what he was going to say. Uh, but... But we think, about, we think about things like that, and I take heat for this, and it's okay. I take heat for a lot of things, but, but the truth is we have sort of, uh, as, as Christians in America especially, we, we have sort of created our own list of things that are forbidden for people. And we have trumpeted those things to a level that we, we now look down upon people who don't see it the way we see it, and, and we judge them. For, for not seeing the, the things the way that we see them. Now, now, let me be clear. The Apostle Paul dealt with drunkenness in the latter part of chapter 13. In fact, let's read it again. He said in verse number 11, that knowing the time, that now it's high time to awake out of sleep, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in, not in lewdness or chambering and lust, but uh, not in strife and envy. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. If you have a problem with alcohol, you should stay a million miles away from it. He says that, that we, we don't, we're, as Christian people, we're not supposed to live our lives intox, intoxicated and under the influence of anything but the Holy Spirit. So, so if you're leaning on a bottle, or whether that be a pill bottle or a liquor bottle, if you're leaning on that for your strength, you are actually in violation of a biblical principle, and that is that we're to be sober-minded. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil's a roaring lion. He says, don't, don't let your mind be overcome by anything except the Holy Spirit, because the enemy will use that as an open door to bring affliction and oppression into your life. And so drunkenness is off the table. Wild parties are off the table. Tame parties are cool. But wild parties, I mean that. It's okay for people to have a good time. I know, don't listen, I don't want to see anybody's face crack this morning. Don't smile. But the truth is, Christian people can have fun and should have fun. We ought to be the, we ought to be the most party-loving people on the planet. Just in the sense of enjoying each other, having a good time, laughing, just having a spirit of liberty among us. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we shouldn't be living in this, in this element, this realm of drunken parties, especially when things, you know, teeter on immorality and get into different areas that we're being tempted. We should stay as far away from that as we possibly can. But for somebody to look down on somebody 
for the fact that they might have liberty in areas that they don't have liberty in, I want to go ahead and point out the fact that the Bible says if your conscience is bothered about that, you're the weak one, not that person. So we have to stop judging each other over, again, what we're just going to compartmentalize as consumables. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse number 10. He dealt with this issue. In fact, everywhere Jesus went, he had religious people breathing down his neck. There's nothing new under the sun. It says, then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. He said, listen and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you said? Jesus replied, gosh, dog, I am so upset about that. I can't believe I hurt their feelings. I would have never said such a thing if I'd have known it was going to upset religious people. Oh, no, he didn't say that. Here's what he did say. You all ready? Keep the context in mind. This is in the context of, of religious hypocrites. He said, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet? Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. Do we need to elaborate? I mean, raise your hand if you need me to expound that passage. I can exegete it for you. Get into the Greek and explain exactly what that means. What you eat, he says, goes through the stomach and into the sewer. In other words, and it's, it's laughable, but in other words, he said, you're, you're actually making issues of things that, that even, even if that person makes a mistake, they're going to expel it soon after. Because it's, it's an edible. It's, anyway. It's, I, I smiled to identify all the potheads in the room. But um, see, you marked yourself. Don't blame me. But he said, he said you have to understand that, that what you eat, again, again, I don't leave here and say, man, that pastor's for, he, he's pro-alcohol. He's promoting people. I'm not saying that. I already said that. I already said I'm against that. But he said, even if a person kind of messes up and drinks a little too much, they're going to pass it out pretty quick. It's, it's going to come and go, right? Don't do it. It's a mistake. You shouldn't do it. Y'all hear me? I, I just got to be clear. You shouldn't do that at all. It's wrong. But he says, he says what, that's not actually what's defiling an individual. Here's what does defile you. He said, the words that you speak come from your heart, and that's what the real problem is. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft. Now look, I, I, it never ceases to amaze me how God compartmentalizes sin. Because he just mentioned heinous crimes like murder, which is an awful crime. Adultery is an awful crime. Sexual immorality is an awful crime. Theft, thieving, being a, being a thief is an awful crime. But then he also throws in there lying and slander. He says, all that mess comes from here. And he said, that's actually what defiles you. While you're worried about what people are eating and what they're drinking, whether they're drinking or not drinking, he said, while you're worried about that, the greater problem is with you. Because Jesus was far more concerned with their attitude than he was their appetites. 
Can I say that again? Jesus was far more concerned with their attitude than he was their appetites. He said, you got, y'all, are, y'all are dealing with all these existential issues. You're dealing with all these surface issues when the reality is that's not the problem. In fact, I would say to somebody who has a drinking problem, if you're here this morning and you have a drinking problem, I'm telling you, you don't drink just because you like to drink. You're drinking because you've got a problem with your heart and you're trying to deal with it in the wrong way. And he says, so the essence is not that, you, not that you eat or drink certain things. And by the way, Paul does, I'm not just jumping on this. Paul does deal with wine consumption later on in chapter 14. But he says, it's not the fact that you're doing that that's the problem. The problem is something is broke inside of you. And those of you who are being critical and you're, and you're, and you're backbiting and you're slandering and you're gossiping, he said, you're just as bad as they are, maybe even a little bit worse because their problem can be, can be eliminated and dealt with by simply putting a cap on it. By simply pushing away from the table, by stopping certain things. He said, that's the, that's the easy stuff that we can deal with. The difficult thing is the fact that you need to have a completely renovated attitude in your heart and you don't want to deal with that because you'd rather create smoke screens pointing out other people's problems when the reality is you're the problem. He was far more concerned with their attitude than he was their appetites. Consumables. Number two, let's talk about observables. Notice in verse number five, verse number five, rather, he says, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. We'll talk more about what that means later. Verse number six, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. Now, you remember, keep in mind what we read about the Sabbath. It's how revolutionary this statement is. They were told under Old Testament law that violating the Sabbath was punishable by death. Now, it's important that we note there was mercy under the law, by the way. Sometimes we read the law and think every time somebody violated the Sabbath, they just got executed. That's not true. God made provision of mercy under the Old Testament law as well because God is merciful. Amen. But he, but he says this, verse 6, he who observes the day, Sabbath day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord he does not observe it he who eats eats to the Lord for he gives God thanks don't we even if we don't pause for prayer before we eat boy I'm thanking him the whole way (laughs) amen the biggest controversies around here is whether we're pre-chip or post-chip do you pray pre-chip at the Mexican restaurant or do you pray post-chip at the Mexican restaurant we might divide fellowship over that (laughs) but he says that's deep theology. I didn't mean to go that deep on a Sunday morning. But he says, uh, you know, we give God thanks. If, if we eat, we give him thanks. If, if a person who doesn't eat, to the Lord he doesn't eat, and he gives God thanks. Now, I want you to understand some of the verbiage that's being used here and the tone of the verbiage that's being used. Because as we're going to see as we continue to study this, Paul is giving, a, he's giving a, a whole lot of grace. He's offering the benefit of the doubt on both sides. He really is. Because he says, and again, and this is the way we should assume, okay? Assumption's not always good because assumption, I mouth that, so we know what assuming does. But in certain cases, he said, just assume the best about somebody. We often assume the worst. He said, assume the best, and here's what I mean by that. He says, you know, those who eat, they give God thanks when they eat it. Now, Paul doesn't know that about every single person who has no conviction about dietary laws. 
He didn't know that. He just gave him that grace. He said, hey, look, if they eat, just let them eat. They're thanking God for it. You get what I'm saying? And he says, for those vegans, those freaking people, folks who have certain convictions, certain feelings about dietary laws, he said, man, look, they're, they're thanking God for that too. Now, again, he's given a whole lot of grace. But I think the attitude is what we all should adopt. It's not my place to judge whether you're doing what you do out of a nefarious motive or not. It's not my job. He says, let's just, let's just assume that they're doing it for good reason. Verse 7, none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So he says, look. Some people observe certain days and some people don't. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm one of those guys. I fall into the category of those people who Paul talked about who doesn't really look at one day as being any more important than the other. That's just who I am. Look at y'all. Look at y'all judge yourselves. I don't really, I don't make a big deal out of certain days. Like Valentine's Day. Come on, can we be real for just a second? Valentine's Day. That's stupid. It's a stupid, no, 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 I don't want to hear it. That's a stupid holiday. It's a stupid holiday where they rope us into buying flowers and jewelry and chocolate. Blah! I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Here's why. I don't like it for this reason. Y'all get all judgy. I don't care. Here's why I don't like stuff like that. I don't like being told when to show my wife how much I love her. To me, it's meaningless. If somebody has to tell you, oh, today's the day you show your love, I don't, I just, it's me. I'm not saying you should feel that way. I'm not trying to bring you over to the right team. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, 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 I don't like it for that reason. It feels contrived, it feels fake, it feels forced. I don't like it. But she does. <laughs> so I've learned to adapt. <laughs> right? Christmas, don't applaud, don't applaud. I forget half the time. Christmas is another one of those days. Keep your stones to yourself. Christmas for me is another one of those days. I'm cynical. Y'all know that. I've been honest about that. I've got a little bit of a cynical spirit, and I happen to know Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. And I also happen to think that if God wanted us to know the birthday, he'd have told us. So I don't make a big deal of it, except for the family aspect of it. I love Christmas, and I do love Christmas. Don't hear, oh, he has a freaking Scrooge, that guy. No, no, no. I love Christmas, but I love Christmas because of the, the holiday aspect. I like being around family. Same reason I like Thanksgiving, plus the turkey. But, and, and if you're truly right with God, you have turkey on Thanksgiving and ham at Christmas. Can I get an amen on that? That's almost Bible. I don't know. They can make up stuff. I can make up stuff, I figure. But I like it because of the family aspect. I, I love the spirit, the atmosphere of Christmas. I do. I like that. I like Christmas trees. I like Christmas lights. And, of course, then you have your good Christians who are against both of those. You know, I can't believe you put a Christmas tree up in church. Well, believe it, we're probably going to put like five. <laughs> and five is the number of grace if you want to be superstitious. <laughs> but, but the point is, the point is, there's nothing holy about that day. Nothing holy about it. Nothing wrong with it. But just don't make it more than what it is. Some of y'all have been around for a little while, and I don't know if you go to the church. Whoever I'm about to call out, you might come to church here because you didn't sign your name to the email. 
So if I call you out, that's what you get for being anonymous. However, <laughs> a couple years ago, we were in a series, I think it was when we were in our, oh, we were in our series of the Gospels. We did the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in one year. And, and I had gone through the birth account of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke. John, of course, goes all the way back to the beginning, speaking of pointing to Christ as creator as well as, as, as the Son of God. He's also God the Son. But anyway, but we'd already dealt with all that in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so by the end of the year, that year time we got to December, around Christmas time, Christmas Sunday, I was still just in my series. And I thought, well, we've, we've already dealt with the birth of Christ three and a half times. So I'm going to mention it, and then I'm going to preach the text. I got a letter from somebody accusing me of, of being a part of the cancel culture saying and again i don't know if you're here you might be so don't take offense no do take offense you should you deserve it <laughs> accusing me of being a part of cancel culture because i canceled jesus birthday can you believe that i canceled jesus birthday i don't know it's 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 this mindset that that paul's dealing with that, hey, look, you esteem that day to be something sacred to you, it's fine. I, for one, think we should celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ every day. I, I, I for one, and, and by the way, the only, the only actual holiday that we can align on a calendar is Easter when Jesus rose from the dead. That does actually fall on the same week that Jesus resurrected. So, but, but, but also, we, so we should celebrate Easter every week. Right? The fact that Jesus resurrected from the dead is the theme of all that we are and all that we do. And so it's not just one particular day that we stop all of a sudden and go, oh yeah, Jesus is alive. Easter Bunny. I don't know. It's random how that got snuck up in there. I, whatever. And then people freak out about that. Here's my point. Here's my point. Listen to what Jesus said. In Mark chapter 2, verse 23, on one Sabbath day. Now, you remember what happened to somebody under the law who violated the Sabbath. Y'all remember that still, right? Execution. One Sabbath day as Jesus was, uh, hit that little, there you go. Uh, on, on the Sabbath day, Jesus was walking through some grain fields. His disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? which, by the way, was a violation of the law. They were accurate about that. They weren't wrong. The disciples were violating Sabbath laws by, by plucking grain on the Sabbath day. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the Scriptures? I love that Jesus threw that at them because they, they, they thought they were experts and they were talking to the guy that wrote it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm the author, dude. You're telling me what I wrote? But anyway... Jesus said to them, have you ever read in the scriptures what David did? Boy, they, they, boy, David, highly esteemed among the Jews. They still have a big statue to David, by the way. Uh, but uh, they, he said, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Listen. David brought his soldiers into the temple, the tabernacle at the time, and ate bread off the table of showbread, which was sanctified for the priests only by the law. It was a violation for a common Jew to eat the showbread. It was, it was only for the Levit Levitical priesthood. And Jesus said, haven't you read what your, what your hero did? 
Haven't you read what your, what your king did? He, he, went, he went so far beyond violating the Sabbath day, he desecrated the temple and he brought his common soldiers in and they ate the showbread. Off the, they ate the bread, rather, off the table of showbread. Then Jesus said to them, this is, the, this is the fundamental principle here, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. There is so much truth in that pertaining not only to holy days, but also to the dietary laws. You know, you, if we read the Old Testament, sometimes we go, well, man, that seems crazy that God would ever forbid that. You also have to understand that, that we're talking in ancient history when they didn't have the ability to cook things the way that we do. They didn't have electric smokers where they could get that pork butt right at 205 degrees before they pulled it out of the smoker, Right? And let it rest and all that stuff that we do. They didn't have that. They cooked everything over fire. Everything was roasted. And so uh, those dietary laws were put there for a reason. Amen? It, nothing, nothing God ever told them to do was for their harm. It was all for their good. But as times are a-changing, he said, look, those are not necessary anymore. And as far as any, any, any sanctimonious aspect of, of those laws, those are done away with in Christ. There were some health benefits, but y'all are trying to make it something spiritual. And he says any spiritual application was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So as it pertains to the Sabbath day, he said, look, I, I didn't give you the Sabbath so you could strenuously obey this, this holy day and observe this holy day every week as if that's going to make you somehow more sanctified than people who don't observe it. He said, I gave you the Sabbath day because, dadgummit, you need to take a break every now and then. And you're too stupid to stop on your own. You won't rest if I don't tell you to rest. So he said, look, it's, life isn't all about making money. You need to have recreation. You need to have rest times. You need to chill out sometimes. And so in the old, under Old Testament law, he, it, was, it was mandatory. Take a day off. He says, now again, any spiritual application of that, the book of Hebrews says Jesus is our Sabbath. We find rest in him. That's why Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, I'll be your Sabbath. You can find peace and rest and comfort in me. Jesus is our Sabbath in a spiritual application. From a practical application, I will go ahead and tell you, take a daggum break sometimes. Life isn't all about making money. You said, if I get that double, who cares? Now work if you need to work, pay your bills. But, it's, but, but there's more to life than making money. And he says, sometimes you've got to slow down and just take a break and enjoy, enjoy yourself. Amen. So, but here is how arrogant many modern day Christians are. Hear me out. We make monumental issues out of things that, that we don't even have Bible to back up. We make, we make monumental issues, I'm talking nuclear level issues, out of things that, that we, and I'm saying we very loosely because thank God he set me free from this about 10 years ago, but we make monumental issues out of things that God's word does not even explicitly say, or we have a few little verses taken completely out of context and we twist those verses to such levels of disproportion that they never, no longer have any real meaning. So here's what I'm getting at. At least the Pharisees and Judaizers had the Old Testament. Is that settling in? Are y'all catching what I'm saying? This is an important principle. You have to get what I'm trying to say to you. At least they had Bible. <laughs> 
They could point you to Exodus chapter 12. They could take you to Leviticus chapter 11. They could go to Leviticus chapter 22. They had biblical principles, even though they were wrong, even though they were misapplied, even though they were misconstrued, at least they had Bible. We elevate things nowadays that are just personal preferences. We just, well, I just don't see it like that. Well, who gives a crap? Like literally, I could not care any less what your little personal pet peeves are. I don't care. Amen? Anybody else in here just, just decided to drink, don't give a rip every morning? I just don't care. I don't care what people think as far as their personal opinions are. If you've got Bible, come at me with it. Let's talk about it. Let's discuss Scripture. But we, we bring things, we elevate things to such a high level that we don't even have as much Bible for the, as the Pharisees had, and Jesus rebuked them. How do you think he feels about the modern church? How do you think he feels about people who are, who are teaching as if it's doctrine, their own personal perspectives and, 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 and their own little, little pet peeves and their own little personal convictions. Now, you need to have your own personal convictions. Everybody needs to know where they stand on different issues, but you can't impose said issues on other people. And by the way, even if you have Bible for it, he said it's not your job to go around judging other people. Y'all good? It's introduction. So, so then what is the most important issue? I think that's the question, right? What is the most important issue? Well, verse number seven, I'm, I, I want to point this out to you. Verse number seven, come ahead. We're going to wrap this up in about 25 minutes. So come start playing the piano. <laughs> verse number seven says, for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. No, number one, start looking at people as people. Stop dehumanizing people and labeling people and compartmentalizing people because they see things differently than you see them. He says, you, you need to understand that we all, we all do two things. We live and we die. And treat people as if they're an in the image of God. We all, nobody lives to himself. Nobody dies to himself. Verse number eight, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this end, Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But notice this, why do you judge your brother? This is the question that demands an answer. Why do you judge your brother? Why, why, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, not you. Get that. Pull that piano down just a little bit because I don't want it to drown out my voice. Y'all need to hear this. I want you to play, but turn it down a little bit. Listen. Every knee will bow to me, Jesus says. Every tongue will confess to God. People don't owe you an explanation. People don't answer to you. You're not the judge. You're not Jesus. You're not the king. He says, every knee is going to bow to one person. His name is Jesus Christ. Every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. But rather resolve this. Not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. We're going to pack, unpack that next Sunday. But, but, it's, but in this text, it's almost as if God 
preemptively answered every possible self-justifying objection imaginable in just a few short verses. Because watch this. Verse number 10, he says, why do you judge your brother? Everybody knows it's wrong to judge, don't we? I mean, if you don't know that, let's go back to kindergarten, right? The Bible clearly says it's wrong to judge each other. But here's what we do, because we, we, are, so, we are so adept at self-justification. So if you were to look at somebody who was being judgy, and you say, hey, 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 you're not supposed to judge people, here's what they'd say, oh, I'm not being judgmental. I'm not being judgmental. I just can't stand that. So here's what he said. He said, okay, so then, so then why do you show contempt for your brother? Why, why do you have such a contentious attitude toward people that you disagree with? He said, the problem is you're saying the right thing because you know the right answer. But your heart is still so bitter and judgmental and you're still looking down on people that you disagree with. You still can't see past that. When you say, when you say stuff like, well, I just can't stand it. That just bothers me. I just think, I just think. Nobody cares what you think. I'm, I don't mean to hurt your feelings. But nobody cares what you think. And if they do, they shouldn't. Because every man is going to give an account of himself before God. I'm not going to answer for what you think about me. You're not going to answer for what I think about you. That's hard to understand because I really value my opinion. Every man will give an account of himself before God. And I keep, I keep saying this because it keeps coming up in the context, but, but God has given each of us a delegation in life. He uses terms like we're, 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 we're vine dressers. He's given us a vineyard. He, gives, he, he uses terms like, like God has given us a, a certain amount of, of, of talents or, or even monies that, that he's given us to manage, that, that we all have our particular arenas, that, that we've been delegated the authority that we're supposed to manage that. And here's the deal. You're supposed to be minding your business. It's a full-time job. It is a full-time job to mind your own business, Right? I'm not singing, Hank, Chuck, don't try to get me to. Yeah, I am. If the wife and I are fussing, brother, that's all right. Mind your own business. Y'all know that song? It ought to be in the hymn book. Somebody say amen on that. Mind your own business so you won't be minding mine. The point is, sorry, well, ADD kicked in for a second. The point is, every human being is going to answer to God. Every Christian, by the way, we don't have time to talk about the judgment seat of Christ right now, but every Christian is going to stand before God and give an account for what we did with our lives. How would you like to stand before God and say, well, you know what? I didn't really get done what you told me to do because everybody else was screwing up so badly. I was so busy. I was so busy trying to correct other people that, that I didn't actually complete my work because, man, these screw-ups, I just was surrounded by screw-ups. What am I supposed to do? That, that ain't going to fly. We're going to give an account. Every man is going to give an account for himself, for his family, for the opportunities that God has given you. We're going to have to stand before God. Now, as a believer, we understand in Christ our sins have been justified, right? We understand in Christ our sins have been justified. 
that I'm not going to stand in the, in the presence of Christ. Jesus took my place on the cross. Jesus died as a propitiation for our sins. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and been born again, you're washed in his blood. You're not going to stand there and be condemned for your sins. But here's what will happen. Daddy's going to have a talk with you. Daddy's going to want to find out. Sounds weird to say daddy these days. The father is going to want to know what you did with the life and the opportunities that he gifted to you. And so many people are, are busy chasing the tails and, 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 and occupying themselves with other people's business when he said, look, there's going to come a time you're going to, have to, you're going to have to actually be able to go over the books and say, well, here's what I did, Lord. You gave me this opportunity. Here's what I did with it. You gave me, you gave me these responsibilities. Here's what I did with them. And there'll be rewards and there will be losses. And he said, here's, here's the principle. Try this one on for size. Verse 13, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. Stop, that's enough. We can read the rest of the verse later, but that one statement is enough. Let's stop judging each other. Amen? There are objectionables objectables. There are things that we can discuss and we can debate. And I like a good discussion. I like a good debate. Sometimes I'm wrong. It's, it's not about being right or wrong. It's about having the right attitude in the discussion and being objective enough to understand, you know what? I don't understand everything. One of the best days of my life was the day I figured out I didn't have it all figured out. That was a good day because then my mind opened to the fact that there's always more to learn. There's always another angle. There's always another perspective. There's more knowledge that I can gain. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, the law condemns us because we're all guilty. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one person among you. There's not one person in this world that doesn't have a problem with their own physical nature. We're all sinful. We're all broken creatures. But Jesus came to make us free and to put us back together. He died on a cross, and he took your sin to that cross, and he buried your sin with his broken body, and after three days, he reinvigorated and resurrected to life to give you new life and give you new hope, and if you're here today and you've never put your trust in him, I encourage you, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, while there's time, put your faith in Christ, trust in him, and be born again today by his power. Let's all stand. In Jesus' name, Father, we bow our hearts and pray that you do what only you can do within us. God, set us 